This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The failure of Silicon Valley Bank spurred the FDIC and Federal Reserve to action. So is it a bailout? Cato's Norbert Michel says, you bet it is. Depositors will be made whole by FDIC. That means imposing costs on other banks and quite likely their customers and depositors. We spoke yesterday. Silicon Valley Bank's shareholders are going to be wiped out. Is that right? Uh, looks that way. That's okay. So, uh, one of the questions I hear, uh, from social media and I did not, didn't have a really good answer to it immediately is, well, how do you call this a bailout if all the shareholders get wiped out? Well, there's, there are different degrees of bailouts and this is, it's true that they're not bailing out those shareholders for those shares if, if it goes that way. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's no bailout here. You had uninsured depositors who are being made whole. Some of those are probably shareholders as well. I don't know. Irrelevant though, because you've got uninsured depositors being made whole. By definition, that's a bailout. And to say that because the shareholders aren't being bailed out in this particular instance, it's not a bailout is much too narrow of a view. What you've got now too is this systemic designation where all uninsured depositors are being told, hey, don't worry about it. We got you covered. We be in the federal government. And what that means is that any any bank who's taken a risk uh, doesn't have to worry about their depositors. And they can also take more risk going forward and not worry about their depositors. That's a problem. Sheila Bayer herself, mm-hmm. former head of FDIC, knows a thing or two at least about administering mm-hmm. uh, bailout <laughs> funds, uh, mm-hmm. having overseen a lot of the TARP spending that was done uh, over a decade ago. Yep. Uh, she said, look, we have FDIC, uh, we have a cap on insured deposits at FDIC for a reason. And, and that reason is if you are considering putting your money in a bank and it's well above $250,000, to to quote her, you kick the tires. That's right. That's exactly right. This is absolutely unbelievable uh, that we went straight to this kind of solution to some problem that didn't exist. Um, You know, this is the the, the typical deposit transaction account is about $5,000. You're talking about somebody with more than 250. These are not a bunch of you know welders and and laborers running around not knowing what's going on that like this is this is insane this is these are sophisticated institutional investors who knew exactly what they were doing and that's that's the end of the story here to to just come in and do this is un, is just almost unfathomable uh when we talk about depositors uh getting a bailout mm-hmm. um and businesses that whose very existence may hang in the balance of whether or not uh, their business is allowed to continue. Um, a whole lot of this money was raised through venture capital. Uh, so it mm-hmm. kind of feels like to me, like if you're making depositors whole, we're kind of bailing out a bunch of venture capitalists too. Uh, it's not kind of, <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's going. I mean, that is a large part of what's going on here. There's, there's no way around that. So FDIC has sent this signal out to the marketplace that, mm-hmm. Hey, maybe don't worry so much if you have 
uh, your deposits in a bank, uh, large deposits in a bank, um, and maybe don't worry so much if you uh, have, you know, a two years of payroll uh, for a large business in a bank. Uh, you're telling banks, yeah, you don't have to worry so much about uh, your depositors now because FDIC will jump in. Um, what's the long-term effect of that? And can FDIC get that credibility back? Oh, that's a great question on the end. I mean, the, the I guess to, to tackle the long-term implications here, um, I mean, this is, this is bad. It's probably going to get ugly probably quickly. You're probably going to see the smaller banks like the community bankers associations uh, come out actively against what's going on. You got to realize when they say FDIC assessments, FDIC fund, that's going to pay for this. So the banks are paying for it. Well, okay, but the treasury is behind that. And aside from the treasury being behind that, you've basically got a whole bunch of banks paying assessment fees to bail out a bunch of venture capitalists who weren't insured. So now we're saying we're going to cover everything. Well, that's a much higher assessment fee. We're going to make all those banks pay that. And if the banks are paying that, I mean, let's be real. Ultimately, some of that gets passed on, if not most of it gets passed on to bank customers and depositors and taxpayers. So the, the, the long-term implications aside from the risk are that you're going to have higher fees on everybody else because you wanted to bail out these uninsured depositors. And then what you do is invite more regulation. You're saying we have to protect this deposit fund. We have come in and we've bailed everybody out, we being the government. Therefore, we get to tell you exactly what you can do to an even greater degree than what we do now. All right. That's so that has greater implications for our basic economic system, not positive ones. Uh, long term, this is pretty bad. And I think, well, to just to tail on here, one of the things that's going on right now is are these debates over central bank digital currencies and how do we regulate crypto and stable coins? And, uh, you know, these this probably has bigger implications for that as well, because basically what we're saying is that you have to do everything through the government. Um, it's not not a not a good implication set of good implications. Is it fair to say that FDIC has too much wiggle room here? I, I wouldn't blame, solely blame FDIC. You've got Treasury, Fed, FDIC, uh, broadly speaking, all of these guys. And this is, I, I although I feel a little vindicated, I'm not happy about it. Um, after Dodd-Frank, there was a lot of chatter from Ben Bernanke himself about how the Federal Reserve's emergency lending authority had been restricted. And I, from the very beginning, called BS on that. And I said, all that we've done here with Dodd-Frank is we've given everybody political cover because you can let the Fed and Treasury get in a room, they can get together and they can say, well, we all agreed that there was a systemic risk. So now we're going to do all this stuff. We're going to have any facility we want, anything, because everybody agreed it was such a big risk. It wasn't just me at the Fed, it was everybody. And that's exactly what you see happen here. Uh, they, they, they do it. They did it. Uh, to the extent that a large amount of the money that uh, FDIC will be ponying up 
to mm-hmm. bail out depositors and thus make those those depositors whole and thus keep a lot of these businesses running and thus uh, preserve the potential upside for venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems like to the extent that you're bailing out venture capitalists, the argument about systemic risk is actually not as strong as you might otherwise think. That's true. It's not as strong as you might otherwise think. It's very, it's very difficult to make that case right now. And the truth of the matter is you can separate this stuff. You have the uninsured depositors. That's one thing. But look, banks can fail. Banks do fail. Um, that's, that's reality. Just like any business, they're taking risks and they do fail. We do have a system in place so that most people, most average Americans don't have to worry about their deposits. You can argue about whether that's a good system or not, but it is in place. The FDIC bank resolution process, uh, which is designed to make bank resolutions orderly, you you have to admit has worked pretty well. Banks are typically closed on a weekend, open back up on a Monday with a bridge bank. People can order in an orderly fashion, get their money out. uh, So you don't have to worry too much about not being able to make payroll next week. You know, there might, there might be a gap, there might be a slight delay, but it still happens. It still, it still works the way it's generally supposed to work. Don't forget, you've also got the Federal Reserve in place. They're supposed to be the lender of last resort. Why couldn't that be, you know, why, why do we have to do anything special? Those are the kinds of questions that we should be asking. That and if all these regulations are so awesome, well, what happened? The Fed's the bank's regulator. They, they, the S, S, SVB doesn't do anything without regulatory approval. So, let, you know, let, let's let, let's let's hold them accountable as well. That was my my next question. You know, if the calls for uh, new regulation or rolling back uh, deregulation, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're already out there. Oh and yeah. So so the question has to be asked: What was insufficient about? That's right the regulatory system that we had when this bank failed. That's right. And it's absolutely ridiculous to begin with to say we're going to blow up the entire regulatory system because one bank failed or two banks failed or even 10 banks failed. That doesn't mean that the entire regulatory system is bad. I do think the entire regulatory system is bad, but not for the same reason and not and it doesn't it's not the cause of these banks failing. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's separate. And then on the deregulation side, you are hearing that from Liz Warren and, and various other quarters, uh, that because we rolled back and, and, and gutted Dodd-Frank in 2018, you know, that's how this happened. Again, that's, that doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold water if just a handful of banks happened to fail a few years later. And it doesn't hold water in that we really didn't gut Dodd-Frank. The 2018 bill didn't really do very much. It changed threshold levels uh, for some of the largest banks. That is true. But there was still a lot of discretion there and there was still a lot of regulation there. And it wasn't that they went from, you know, 100,000 regulations to two regulations or anything like that. It wasn't stricter in the sense that on the on the smaller side of the biggest banks, we decided to go in and say, you know what, you guys can do whatever you want. Uh, we're not going to worry about it anymore. Or, you know, that that's not what happened. Why isn't this haircuts all the way down? That is, that is why, yeah. are, why are depositors being made whole? 
I mean, I can understand if you view the the idea that this is a systemic risk of the, this failure yeah. will cause this failure will cause yeah. this failure. If if that's the the goal, uh, to to, uh, to prevent that, why not haircuts all the way down? There Everybody should, takes a haircut. There should be that. That's there's no two ways about it. This is this is sort of a travesty, kind of a joke, depending on how you want to call it. I mean, these are these are large institutional investors who knew they were uninsured. They deal with this sort of risk all the time. There's absolutely no true justification, no objective justification for doing this. Norbert Michel is a Cato Institute vice president and director of the Cato Institute Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 